The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Galatians chapter 6 is where we'll start. And while you're going there, I want to paint a picture for you. I want you to imagine a world where the love that God has for you is based off of what you do. <laughs> now that, that world scares me. A world in which your seed in heaven is based on you doing a certain amount of things. Maybe your good works outweigh your bad works. Maybe you keeping the law. And that is your only ticket into heaven. And that is a, a imaginary world that scares me. Or what about this? What about, what about a world in which Jesus died on the cross for you? He did everything for you in order to pay for your sins, but then it's up to you to do a bunch of other things in addition to that to get you your seat in heaven. Now that imaginary world also scares me. And what, and, and what does that do? Stepping away from those pictures, what's, what's so bad about those things is that they, they, put, it, they put it in your control. They give you uh, the glory for getting your life together, for getting to heaven. And what's the problem with us getting the glory? Let's look at Galatians 6, verse 11. This is Paul himself. He says, you see how large a letter I've written unto you with my own hand. Now, I, I believe that Paul was saying here that he actually penned these words down. A lot of times when Paul would write a letter, he would have somebody, uh, he, he would kind of preach it and they would sort of write it down. And, you know, perhaps this, this letter was such an emergency letter that he didn't have time to call in the secretary to write this down. He had to just write this letter right away. And he says, You see how large a letter I've written unto you with mine own hand? As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. He's saying there are some people... That are, that are bothering this church and they're saying you've got to add things onto the blood of Christ. Now it's interesting that here we are nearly 2,000 years later and that is still the case. It's always been the case throughout the, the history of Christianity is that there have been people that have tried to add requirements unto the blood of Christ. And I do not mean to mock anybody's belief. It's not, it's not, my, it's not my part, not my business uh, to put people down, to mock people. But I, I pray, I pray that I might be found preaching the truth in love always. And, and I have to say that it bugs me a little bit. It bugs me. I've been in that bondage before. And what was happening here and in, in these folks in Galatia is that they were coming to them and they were saying, okay, Jesus' blood is good. That's great. But what you need to do is you also need to keep the law in order to get to heaven. 
They were saying it's about circumcision, or it's about uncircumcision, it's about all these physical things. And look, we get hung up on that now too. It's just, it's not about circumcision anymore. It's about, well, baptism, or it's about whether you accepted Jesus, or whether you prayed this certain prayer, or whether you haven't committed this unforgivable sin, you know? There are some denominations that still have a list of sins that are just, that are just unpardonable, <laughs> that the blood of Christ was just not good enough for those. Verse 13, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised that they may glory in your flesh. What is, what's the problem? What's the problem with a doctrine that teaches works? Even if it's just a little works, well, here's the problem, is that it gives man the glory. You know, if it's up to the preacher, if it's up to, to you as a, as a child of God to go out there and to save people from hell, to go out there and to preach the gospel, to save people, well, for one, how could we ever sleep at night knowing that there might be somebody out there dying without, without the knowledge of Christ? Secondly, you are really puffing up your pride. Every person that you evangelize to and you speak to, man, you just got them into heaven. And so you're just in your mind, whether you believe it or not, you are adding up little gold stars on your tally sheet. I saved this person and this person and this person, and you're welcome, God. I, I'm helping. And I don't mean to mock, but, but I know myself. I know my broken personality, and I know that if it were possible, I would be taking the glory for everything that I can. And as a matter of fact, I do. I do. I take as much glory for the things that God has done for me as I can. You know, when somebody challenges me at work or something, you know, and they say, well, well, the law says this, you know, and, it's, and, and I know what the law says. And what my flesh wants to do is just say, well, buddy, I went to law school for this. I pulled myself up from my bootstraps and I, I studied and all of these sorts of things. And you know what the truth is? The truth is God blessed me with the opportunities. I know I didn't deserve to get into law school. Are you kidding me? He, he delivered me through all of that. But man, I sure do like to take credit for it. But can you even imagine what it would be like if we believed that it was up to me to go out there and to save people? That, that I had to get the word to them, the gospel to them, in order for them to be saved. That's exactly what was happening here. They... These people, these Judaizers who were, who were essentially Christians that were holding on to Jewish custom and adding that to it, what they were doing was they were glorying in these people because they had control over them and over their minds. Think about how much we are all controlled in this world by the fear that, that we all, we're, we're inundated with. And... I'm not making any statements on the coronavirus. I think it's a real thing. I think it's something for us to be concerned about. But what doesn't help us is when news media is constantly saying, oh, there's this many people dying from it, and, and, and they keep berating us with fear and fear about the election. And then I heard, I heard 
yesterday that, oh, and by the way, there's an asteroid headed to Earth that's supposed to hit like the day before Election Day, you know? And, and so it's just like, let's just get as much fear out there as we possibly can. And why did they profit from that? It's because when we're afraid, we are just out of our minds. We're so silly. And they can just continue to lead us into the darkness in fear, right? Well, in, in the same way, if, if you could tell somebody that um, you, need to, you need to do all these sorts of things and you need to confess your sins to me every day or you might die and go to hell. How, how sad that is, that sort of control that that person is exerting over that other. And what does Paul say? What does Paul say about glorying in these things? Verse 14 says, But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. He says it's not about, it's not about your accolades. It's not about the fleshly things that we see. It's not about whether you're, you're circumcised or not circumcised. It doesn't matter whether you're white or you're black or male or female. It doesn't matter about any of those things. What matters is whether God performed a miracle in your life. The new creature, the new birth, that's what it's all about. Now, last, last time that I remembered, I, you know, sometimes as a mental exercise, I'll try to remember my very first memory. And I, I, I want to say my very first memory was on the back, on the back patio and our, one of our big dogs coming up to me and knocked me over. I think that's my first memory. You know what I don't remember? <laughs> I don't remember asking my parents to conceive me. Right? That didn't happen. It, me coming into this world, I'm not saying I'm some special person, okay? Me coming into the world is a miracle, all right? You coming into the world is a miracle. I didn't do anything to choose that. I didn't do anything to deserve that. I didn't choose who I was going to be born to. God calls this, this new man within you, he calls it his creature, a new creation, in, in the same way, I, I, I don't remember there being in Genesis an account of where creation called out to God and said, make me, make me this way. No, God did that of his sovereign act. That's what the new birth is. So why should we be glorying in, in, in our, in our uh, new birth or in the new birth of somebody else? We should glory in the cross. That is where our redemption is. I love how he says, but God forbid. You know, that ought to be a prayer of ours. Essentially, what he, is, he is asking the Lord to prevent him from thinking of anything else but the cross. To prevent him from glorying in anything else. I would encourage you to pray that. Lord, God forbid that I glory in anything but you and in your cross. All right, so what I want to do is I want to talk about some things uh, that we glory in. And I want to, I want, the first thing I want to talk about is doctrines. 
Go over to the book of Ephesians. should be right next door. Ephesians chapter 1. And we already, in, in looking at our, our um, painting earlier, we, we already kind of considered some of these thoughts, but I want you to, to think about this doctrine. Probably the most common of all Christian doctrines, which is that you have to, you have, to have someone deliver the gospel to somebody. The gospel has to be preached to somebody. And then that person has to hear the gospel they have to believe that gospel, and then they have to accept the gift of Jesus on the cross in order for Jesus' blood on the cross and what he did for us to apply to us. Now, this is, this is most commonly called gospel regeneration, the, the, the idea that you have to be preached to and you have to accept that in order uh, to be born again. Uh, but it also, it, uh, the atonement is all about you also because you have to accept the gift in order for it to be applied to you. And so let's look at Ephesians 1 uh, to answer this doctrine. Verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, according as he hath chosen us in him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Here is the idea that God actually chose his people, that he elected us. Now, there are times when, when I can hardly believe that he would choose me. But man, isn't it amazing that, that his love is not some haphazard love for you? It's not... It's not him deciding to love you because you chose him and because you did something. No, he loves you because he wants to. And then he, he bestows that on you. Man, isn't that such a radical difference in our mind of who God is? Think about this. I would say a majority of, of God's people out there believe that they have to do something to earn God's love. And, and whether you believe it or not, you probably think this deep down inside. There's probably a, a part of you. I know there's a part of me. Because I know when I sin, I, I think, Lord, I've got to make it up to you. That's how I feel, you know. But it's not about that. God loved you. He does love you. Because he wants to. You didn't have to earn that. And so you're not going to ruin it. <laughs> He's not going to cast that love away from you because you're who you are. <laughs> so let's continue reading. Not only did he choose his people before the foundation of the world, before you did anything good or evil. But he also, verse 5, having predestinated us unto the adoption of children. By Jesus, to him, by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Not only did he just choose you, he also set your destiny to be in heaven. He says, he, uh, predestined unto the adoption of children. Man, I, I can't think of a more beautiful image than the image of, a, of an adoption. That is the destiny that he has set for you. 
that you will be there in heaven as his children with the full uh, legal benefits of adoption. Now, you know, I have been involved in, in adoptions in the practice of law. And, and I, I will tell you, there is no part of the adoption that, that involves the consent of the child, right? You've got, you've got adoptions, you know, adoptions can be very complicated because they involve the consent of the, of the natural parents. Or, if the natural parents are, are out of the picture, those, those rights can be terminated. But one or the other has to happen in order for that child to be free for adoption. Well, what happened to us is that Jesus went to the cross. And he took our sins, he took, he took our natural parents, if you will, and he terminated those rights on the cross. And then he purchased us with that blood. No part of that involved my consent. Praise the Lord. Because you know what, you know what kids want to do? <laughs> you know what, if you, if you ask a child and they're in the middle of a, of a, a, a parental dispute, they're going to want to go with the parent that gives them the most candy and the most stuff, right? That's why you don't really, you know, yeah, you take it into consideration in the court, but really you go with the best interest of the child. What is the best interest for us is to be with God. I'm so glad that God didn't ask me, you know, what do you want, little child? Because I want to say I want to I sin and live any way I want to. And why did, why did God do this? Why did he set our destiny to be with him according to the good pleasure of his will? This is the only time that I can think of that it gives any explanation for why he does this. Right. Why, why, does the, why does the God that we serve love us? Because it pleases him to do so. And man, that's hard for me to believe, but that is good enough for me. I will take that in faith. To the praise of the glory of His grace, wherein He hath made us accepted in the Beloved. I'm so glad that I can rest. I can rest from having to make myself accepted. From having to do the right things, to, to not think the wrong things. To continually make sure that I'm not sinning against Him, breaking the law. I'm so thankful that I don't have to prove myself to God. That He proved Himself to us. And that He made me accepted. That He made you accepted. If that's not grace, I don't know what is. <laughs> that is a God of love right there. In whom we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. You see how simple that is. It is by grace. Period. You will go to heaven as a child of God because of His grace, because of His love. You know, if you, if you have to add anything to that sentence, you know, I believe that we should, according to the Scriptures, be able to say that we are saved by grace. Period. I don't believe you should have to put a comma after that or any other uh, uh, semicolon, a colon. It should be by grace, period. But what happens so often is that we say it's by grace 
and something else. The, the Jesus plus doctrine, as I like to call it. It's Jesus plus something else. It's Jesus plus you. It's Jesus plus your prayer. Jesus plus your actions. Jesus plus the preacher. Jesus plus the gospel. Don't we know that Jesus is good enough in himself? Jesus doesn't need any help. When he died on the cross, he died for his people. I wasn't there. You weren't there. I wasn't there beside him cheering him along as he sweat and as he bled for me. He doesn't need my help now. You know, I, I, we went yesterday to watch uh, Brother Mason and uh, Lydia and Hannah uh, participate in this CrossFit competition. And man, it was like, I'm, I'm, I think I'm still exhausted from watching. They were doing all these exercises and workouts and, and, I, and I, was, I was cheering them on, trying to give them whatever energy and whatever strength I had to give them, you know. Uh, but it wasn't like that on the cross. It wasn't like that. I, we weren't cheering on Jesus. Yay, get it. You know, you're almost there. Keep on sweating. Keep on working. We weren't there. If I would have been there, I believe I would have been one of those scoffers. Spitting on him. Railing on him. And that's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why our God had to come down instead of leaving it for us. The redemption that he has given us is by grace, period. Let me go over to Ephesians chapter 2. And let's look at verse 1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and in sins. You know, it's funny, when I read this now, I almost, I almost wait for Brother Oliver's amen. Right? <laughs> I, I, I kind of almost instinctively look over to him. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You get the picture? He's not saying that some people were in this situation and some people weren't. He says we were all in this condition. By our nature, we are just like everybody else. By our nature, we all deserve to go to hell. I love that it shows us here the power and the necessity for a supernatural act, a miracle of the new birth. And it compares it here to being brought from, uh, from death to life. He says, and you hath he quickened who were dead. He brought us to life from the, from the grave, from death, in our new birth. And in our nature, despite uh, or apart from his work, we all deserve hell. We are all dead. We're all dead. But God who was rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. 
I love that, that it shows us here that, that the Lord didn't bless us because we, we decided to wake up from our slumber. He didn't, he didn't give us the blessings of heaven and the blessings of life because we decided to wake up. No, the Lord gave us life when we were dead. It is totally different. And that is a proof to me in those moments when, when I feel the conviction of my sin and I'm, and I'm so sorry for not seeking the Lord better and not serving Him better. There, there is a temptation for me, and I believe it's Satan just whispering to us. It's a temptation for me to say, Lord, I've got to make it up to you. I've got to, I've got to prove my love to you again. I've, I've got to earn your love back. That is not true, child of God. I want you to be freed from that bondage. We ought to want to serve Him, but it's not in order to get His love. I want you to be clear with that. Remember what I'm saying. We don't serve Him to, to get His love. We serve Him because we have His love. Right. And He proved it to us. He proved it to us in that while we were dead, He paid for our sins. While we had nothing to give Him, He paid for us. That is love. That is grace. And hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He sets our legal position to be in heaven. Do you know that even now in the midst of this sinful world and in the midst of your lives that you may feel like is in chaos right now, that even now you are legally positioned in heaven? You know, I, I do a lot of things for, for my clients. And they don't even have to be there for because I represent them legally. Jesus represents us in heaven. We don't have to be there in the flesh to be represented in heaven. We are in heaven legally with Him. That in the ages to come, He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know, it's not just and this is, a, this is a beautiful image. It's not just the grace that He would save us. He will show that grace to us through all eternity. You will experience that and bathe in that grace for the rest of eternity. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I want to just explain this, this verse, uh, verse 8, because many people will get very confused in reading this passage. They will say, well, is it by grace or is it by faith? Right? You know, and, and this is a, another big, big doctrine that we're about to talk about, where faith, where, where people believe that you have to have an act of faith to believe the gift of God in order to be saved. Well, the question is, I, I want us to remember this. The answer to that is to ask this question. Where does that faith come from? Where does it come from? Because it sure doesn't come from me. Right. And that's what he's saying here. That's what he says. He says, For by grace are you saved through faith. And that faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. What, what happens here? is that we are dead. As we, as we read just a few verses earlier, we are dead 
and trespasses and sins. And then God comes to you sovereignly of His own action, of His own love and of His own grace for you. And He gives you something. He gives you this thing called faith. And with that faith, we are able to do what we're doing here today. To live and to breathe in the kingdom of God. So that faith is, is a gift that he gives us. I like to think of it, and I think I've used this before, I like to think of that faith as a muscle. It's a muscle that, that you exercise. And we're exercising it today. We're sitting here and worshiping God by faith. Exercising that muscle that he's given us. But when you exercise a muscle, it doesn't, it doesn't make it be there. Now, when I exercise now, as bad out of shape as, as I'm in, it feels like I'm creating muscles because it hurts so bad the next three days after it. It's almost as if I have just miraculously created muscles that I didn't know existed. But that's not what's happening, right? It is a miracle when God gives you something new. And that's what faith is. And it's not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, we would be able to boast if, if, if God had died on the cross, and then what he said was, now if you accept that gift, it will apply to you. And then we would have to take a, take a step of faith and take an action to believe that. Now, if that's the case, then we ought to all glory in ourselves because we made the decision to follow him. We made the decision to be born again, right? And you see how that is so contrary to the teachings of Scripture. There's not going to be anybody sharing the throne of heaven. Nobody's going to be sharing the glory of heaven other than Jesus Christ. He died for our sins. He deserves all the glory. It is by grace that we're saved. And verse 10 says, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Man, this is another one of the images of creation where God says that your new man is something that He created. It's His workmanship. Created unto good works which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Now, I think that is, it is very important that we notice that it says that we should walk in them. Not that we would, but that we should. We should walk in good works. All right, let's move on. Let's go to the next major doctrine. This is the doctrine uh, common in the Reformed uh, community. which is that you know, predestination and election and all of that is, is a part of, of, of biblical teaching. That's real. But that also you still have to uh, accept it. You still have to accept the gift. You still have to hear the gospel. And so really the only, the only difference, if we're, getting really, if we're getting down to brass tacks, the only difference between those two is that one embraces election and the other doesn't. Um, and I, I don't mean to oversimplify that. Essentially, what, what somebody in that camp would believe is that God chose his people, he predestinated them to be in heaven, 
and that sometime in time, they will hear the gospel and they will accept that gift of God and be saved. Well, there, there are some problems with that. Uh, one, one major problem is that it limits, it limits the power and the sovereignty of God. What about, what about those people out there who cannot understand the preaching of the gospel? You know, even, you know, it's very common. We have it in this community. We have it all throughout the world to have people who have mental handicaps and they can't comprehend um, uh, concepts. They just can't, they can't seem to understand. Can, can you imagine if it was up to us to preach the gospel to someone who can't understand things and, and if they don't accept that, then they're going to go to hell. What about people who, who the Bible hasn't even been translated into their language yet? What about those babies that, that, that are either aborted or miscarried? What happens to them? They don't hear the gospel. They don't make a decision to believe. And, and the answer that they would make was that they would make exceptions to all of these different categories. They would say, well, God, is, you know, God would make an exception for these mentally handicapped people, and God would make exceptions for these you know, billions of, of, of babies, of, of children that have either been miscarried or aborted. And I'm so thankful that, that the sovereign God that we have doesn't even have to make exceptions. He doesn't. Why is that? Because he saved his people from their sins, period. There is no exception to that. He saved his people. It's not about the gospel getting to them. The gospel, all the gospel is, and I'm not saying the gospel is not powerful because it is, but all the gospel is is just the good news, the good news of what he has already done for you. Think about John 3. Uh, that's, that's that passage where, where Nicodemus comes to Jesus and is asking him questions. And Jesus teaches about the new birth. He said, unless a man be born again, none of this is going to make any sense. And Nicodemus is curious. That piques his curiosity to be born again. And then Jesus describes it like this. He says, it's like the wind. The wind bloweth where it listeth. It goes where it wants to. We don't control the wind. The wind doesn't ask us where it wants to go, right? That is like the Spirit of God going through His people and, and, and borning people again. I'm not sure that's a verb, but I just used it like that. But, but saving His people, right? It is a sovereign act of God. Let's, let's look at another doctrine real quick, and then we'll, we'll kind of wrap this up. There's a, a, a common doctrine, uh, the perseverance and the preservation of the saints. This is, this is a doctrine. We, we believe uh, that as a, as a child of God, as a blood-bought child of God, you will be in heaven, that you can't lose your salvation. That's essentially what we believe as the preservation of the saints. 
that you will not fall away from being in heaven. Now what happens is that this doctrine gets convoluted and people start saying that if you are a child of God, you will continue in good works. Now when we get there, we get to bad implications. Because I want you to be honest with yourself. Just, we're just going to take a moment. I want you to think about it. When was the last time that you committed some sin? If, if, you're not, if you're not thinking about a sin that you committed this morning, you're probably not being honest with yourself, right? You are all sinners. And so if we believe that a child of God will persevere in, in good works, or else they just weren't a child of God to, to begin with, then guess what? Heaven is going to be an empty place. Because why did, why did Jesus die on the cross? Because we are sinners. Because we do need His grace. And just because you're born again doesn't mean that, that you are all of a sudden a spitting image of Jesus Christ. Now, you legally you are, but man, I still sin every day. The other, the other bad implication of this doctrine is that it, it really promotes this pharisaical idea that, um, that I'm doing good. And so I, I'm a child of God, and so I'm living righteously, and I don't commit sins. And that is, you want to talk about tooting your own horn, that is glorying in yourself. Of course, you know, the answer to that is, you know, Ephesians 2 and 10, we just read that. He says that we are, we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we should walk in them. As a child of God, we should be doing good works. He didn't say as a child of God that you would do good works. Praise the Lord. Because that would, I'm telling you, I would be right back in the bondage that I was in before if I believed that I could lose my salvation. The, the, of course, the other verse on, on that topic is Romans 8. From the very beginning to the very end, His children will be in heaven. The same people that he foreknew and, and, and goes all the way through those steps, those, those uh, great doctrines that we hold to, those are the very same that are glorified with him. Also think about this. If a child of God will live righteously, if you will persevere in good works, then what's the point, what's the point of all of this? What's the point of this and all of the moral teachings that God gives us in this, in this Bible? It's a, it's a waste of space. If you're going to do good anyway, then why do we need to read this? Why do we need to pay attention to how we need to be living? You, you know why it's in there is because we do struggle and because we do have to continually work at being more like Christ. All right, why does doctrine matter? I know th these are just a few doctrines. And... You know, some people are more interested in doctrine than others. I get that. You know, I've, I've been interested in doctrine uh, from a little boy, and, and, and I learned pretty quickly that not everybody really cares that much about it, about doctrine. Um, why does it matter? Doctrine matters because it's where we put our glory. It's, it, it determines where the glory goes. And... and there's no middle ground on this, okay? 
It's one way or the other. It's either you give glory to God in your doctrine or you give glory to man. Or maybe you give a little glory to God and you reserve a little glory to man, but guess what? I'm going to put that in the category of, of giving glory to man. There, there are two ways that doctrine can come out for you. You can either give glory to God or you can give glory to yourself. Now how, I heard it said like this before, how do you spot a counterfeit? How do you spot a gospel that is a counterfeit message? It's, it's pretty easy. A counterfeit gives man glory. And the real thing gives God the glory. Right. It's very simple. Why does doctrine matter? Because if you, if you believe this one thing, you may, not, you may not be able to see the implications of how it affects your belief, but it does. When you were coming before God and you were praying to Him and you were getting to know Him better and you were coming before your Father to have some time with Him, you're bringing your understanding of doctrine to the table and that is who you imagine God to be. If you believe that God saved you by grace plus something else, or if you believe that, that as a child of God, you will persevere in good works. And guess what? You are coming to the table believing in a God that doesn't exist. You're coming, to, you're coming to a God and you're praying to Him and you're praying for mercy, but yet you don't expect mercy because you expect a God who loves you based on the things that you do. No, real, true doctrine ascribes all the glory to God. When you embrace that, when you are praying to Him and when you're dealing with the sufferings that we go through, when, when the rubber meets the road in your life and you're coming to God, you know who you're coming to? You're coming to a God who you know loves you despite all the things you do, who loves you not because of the things that you've done to earn His love, but loves you because He is, because He is God and He shows grace to you. Does doctrine matter? Oh, yes, it does. It matters so much. I've got just a few minutes. I'll close with this. Not only does doctrine matter, but, but all the other lies that you tell yourself matter. And, and, and I like to think about this as sometimes all the, the lies that you tell yourself, it... it, it accumulates into one thing called your personality, okay? Uh, <clears throat> and, and obviously, different people are drawn to different things. But have you ever, <clears throat> have you ever valued something? Taken, taken your worth of yourself from something else. I know I do this all the time with relationships. That I find the value in myself that my self-worth, my self-esteem, whatever it is, I find that based off of somebody else, my relationship with my wife, my relationship with my church members and my friends. It's, it's the same as, as having the wrong understanding of doctrine because what happens is that I say, I am not worthy of getting love unless I have this person's love or unless I have this person's love. 
Not to mention the fact that I am making them God in my heart, making them an idol. All lies, all idolatry, all of these things are pride. Because what you're saying is, my way is better than God's way. And that is pride in its simplest form right there. Have you ever, have you ever believed that you've got to achieve certain things? That you've got to make certain uh, level of grades? Or you've got to be uh, perfect? Uh, or you've got to, um, like I said, achieve or, or be the best at what you do or else you're nothing? Many people, many personalities can relate to this idea. And guess what? It's a lie. <laughs> it's a lie that we tell ourselves that I've got to do great things in order to be loved, in order to be appreciated. That is pride at its finest. And we bring that to the table when we come to God because we say that I've got to do these things. I've got to pray this prayer. I've got to accept him. I've got to... I've got to prove myself to him in order for him to love me. And you know what that is? It's, it's bondage. And it's pride. You are, you are literally taking glory away from God. And there, there are many others. We, can, we could talk about it after services because I've run out of time. Um, there are problems that we all have in our personalities. And I'll give you the short answer. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, whatever sin that you're prone to, whatever problem you're facing in life, this, this is the answer. The reason that you have that problem is because you were absorbed with yourself. That you are worshiping yourself rather than God. And I believe that I can say that statement without any exceptions. The, the problems that you have in your personality, the problems that you have in your service to God is ultimately because you are worshiping yourself. And the solution, of course, is very simple but hard to implement, is to worship God, to make Him be all in your heart. Jesus said that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Give God all the glory. So, and returning to our text, Galatians 6, Paul says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross, Jesus Christ. You know, that's not, just, that's not just the answer to what we consider to be pride. That's the answer to all of our problems. Because everything that you have going wrong in your life is, is ultimately due to pride. Whether, whether you have a problem with lying or whether you have a problem with uh, with cheating or, or with anger or bitterness, no matter what it is, it is pride. <laughs> it, is, it is your will against God's will, and that is pride. We ought to be uh, giving that to the Lord and finding all of our glory, all of our worth in Him. I hope that's an encouragement to each and every one of us. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.